Thanks for tuning in once again to Audibles with Jason Scarborough, the podcast, episode two. So wherever you're listening, Amazon Music, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, just a number of platforms. And we appreciate you guys for joining us. So this is a special episode now considering that this gentleman is no longer with us. But man, will his memory and his quotes, gracious, the quotes, will those carry on. So Mike Leach, the late college football coach, passed away last December. And it still sounds crazy to say that. I mean, it really, really does. You know, Coach Leach, I never met him. And even watching all the press conferences, didn't know what to expect in this interview. So we taped this interview, I want to say it was February, maybe, of 21. I think that's right. And we taped it at Little Dewey's in Starville, which is one of my favorite places of all in the South. I mean, it just Bart Wood, uh, the owner there. Of course, his parents started, founded Little Dewey's, and he's since taken over the reins. Uh, Bart's been a guest on Audible's, uh, the TV show. You'll, of course, you'll hear from Bart later on. Uh, in the podcast later down the road. Didn't know Mike Leach, didn't know what to expect, but I knew that was a good place to do it. And that was honestly kind of, it was kind of a selling point to get the Leach interview, honestly, uh, because he had never been there. Right. He had never been to Little Dewey. So that was kind of cool that we were the caveat for him to have a meal at Little Dewey's for the first time. So again, I didn't know what to expect. You see all the the press conferences and hear all the quotes and see the 60 minutes interview and see his appearance on Friday night lights and all the interviews he's done with Fox and ESPN over the years. You just don't know what to expect. So I talked with big shout out to Brandon Langlois at Mississippi state and John Cohen, who obviously was the athletic director at the time in Mississippi state. So coach Cohen had done his interview with us there at little Dewey's. Obviously we had interviewed Bart and those went really well in that back room there in little Dewey's. So I had talked with Brandon and, and Coach Cohen at length for a while about making it happen. And so they did that. Again, just felt like it was a it was a really good atmosphere, that back room there at Little Dewey's. Uh, it was sunny and breezy the day of the interview. I mean, it was, it was a nice day. Uh, we had storms moving in that night, which we got into driving back here into Rankin County where I live, back from Octibahaw County. But it was just a nice day. Again, much like the Warren brothers – in the last episode, I'd worked with Broadcast Media Group for this video shoot, Robbie Koblenz. I'd never worked with Robbie before. He was referred by, I think it was the Starville Chamber of Commerce. I just asked, hey, who's the best video crew up there? Called Robbie, got to talking. He and his crew, they were great. Just lots of moving parts, a lot of gear, wires, lights, everything. We had a really, really fun time with Robbie and his crew. But I was putting a lot of faith in Robbie, although they came highly recommended, I was still putting a lot of faith in them because we actually shot two interviews that day. We shot Coach Polk, uh, Coach Ron Polk, and then Coach Leach was coming later in the day. So a lot of faith being put in Robbie and his crew, and they did a really, really good job. So the back room at Little Dewey's, if you've never been, is kind of a back room. They have parties there, I think, um, you know, different events and whatnot. It's kind of what they use it for. They just built the bar to add on. I don't think they had started utilizing it yet, if I remember right. And the problem with that is they didn't have a door that would shut you off from the back room to the rest of the restaurant. So folks would want to walk back there. Oh, there's Coach Leach. Oh, 
So we had to have someone kind of man the door and kind of say, no, 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 we're doing an interview. Even though folks knew we were doing an interview, could see the lights and everything, cameras pointing everywhere. You still had folks trying to walk back there and you can't blame them. I mean, you see Mike Leach sitting there, you want to go talk to him. So we kind of had to have someone man that, that doorway and kind of turn people away and say, no, no, hush, hush. We got, we're doing an interview. So anyway, that was kind of unique. Uh, but such a great setting in that back room there. I, I still enjoy just going back there and just having a meal uh, whenever I go to Little Dewey. So so he walks in, Coach Leach walks in with Brandon Langua, their head of communications up there at Mississippi State. And he's in cargo shorts, T-shirt, flip-flops. Perfect. Perfect. Love it. And Coach Leach, you guys might have seen me, you know, post this story on Facebook when Coach Leach started getting sick. And I said, Coach Leach, everything's on the house. You want some sweet tea, you know, water, Coca-Cola, want something to eat? Look, you know, we got you. And he's like, well, I appreciate it, but I've got this green tea coffee thing. And he pulls out of his cargo short pocket this can that's some sort of green tea coffee mixture. And it was the funniest thing because Stephen Bryant, you'll hear from him later on um, in the podcast as well. Stephen had gone with me to kind of help me uh, keep up with my time and my segments and whatever. And he's obviously a big Mississippi State fan, state graduate. Steve thought he was pulling out a, a flask, and he's like, now it's a party. So he pulls out this green tea coffee thing, and he's like, this green tea coffee thing, I, I've got this to drink, and kind of says it's pretty good. He kind of pauses and looks up and says, you want to try some? <laughs> Coach, I'm good. I appreciate it. Thank you. I got, got my little Dewey sweet tea over here. So, I mean, classic Coach Leach. It was great. So, uh, I do get asked about, you know, I think I talked about prepping in the last episode. You know, I get asked about prepping. And typically, you know, two, three, four days, it just depends on the person. You know, reading as much as you can, taking notes off that, finding videos of past interviews, press conferences. And for Coach Leach, there were plenty to thumb through, being the most quotable coach in college football, uh, watched his 60 Minutes interview, several he'd done with Fox and ESPN, listened to some of the audio of him doing radio in the past. Just There's some guests you just don't have a lot of a lot to work with. You know what I mean? But with Coach Leach, there was so much out there to thumb through, and you'd rather have that problem. You know, a lot of stuff to thumb through and try to find those little nuggets, those little things that, that make the guests go, huh. How'd you know that? Man, you really did your homework or something like that. That's If you get that as an interviewer, as someone conducting an interview in this setting, that, that's better than any award. If, you, if your guest says, huh, how did you know that? Or where did you get that from? Or man, you've done your research. That's You want to hear that. I promise you, you do. So we start the interview, and I'm trying my best to keep a straight face. I mean, it's Mike Leach for Pete's sake, you know. And it's just hard because the guy, the way he tells anything, he could describe, I mean, think about the green tea coffee thing. I mean, I'm laughing at at that as he's describing it. He can make anything sound funny. So people ask me all the time when they watch that interview, and you can watch this full interview, by the way, on our YouTube channel, Spirit Media Network. Uh, Just get on YouTube, Spirit Media Network. And look through the playlist there of audibles, and you can find the the Leach episode and watch it in its entirety if 
unless you just want to listen to it here, which you're about to. So we would break for water refill, sip of water, refill the drink, whatever, readjust a camera angle or something. And he and I would just talk off camera, just about everything. It wasn't necessarily part of the interview and just talk. And the fact that I was from Brandon, that was intriguing to him because he's obviously had success with kids from Brandon that, that play quarterback. But those chats, not part of the interview, man, I look back at that now and I value those even more now, obviously, now that Coach Leach has has passed on uh, this past December. So, And I could tell you, his death, it really, really affected me, really bothered me. And not for days, but for weeks. And it still does, really. You know, because he was one of the good guys. He was. He was different in more ways than just being quirky or having an affinity for 17th century pirates. He would shake your hand, and he would look you in the eye when he did it. That's a big deal, particularly to me and the men in my life that it, my grandfather's, my dad. It's a big deal to us. You shake a man's hand when you leave his home, his place of business, or in this case, you're leaving a, the set where we were doing the interview. You shake his hand, you look him in the eye. And that's more rare in this business. It's more rare in life, really, uh, than you guys probably know. So that made an impact on me, and I'm thankful for that. Said a lot about him, and he, of course, stayed around, signed everything we wanted, you know, you know, as patient as he could be, just as sweet and genuine with his time. And, uh, Again, he'll be missed. He'll be missed, I know for sure, by me and everyone on set that day. He just he made an impact. He did. That's what he did. He, he impacted people. So without further ado, here's our interview with the late, the one and only, the pirate, Mike Leach. So Susanville, California is where it all started, but you grew up in Cody, Wyoming, or at least that's where, what you call your hometown. So what happened for you guys to move from California to Wyoming? Well, uh... Yeah, I think everybody's from where they went to high school. You right. Know, people say, we'll live somewhere a month, and they'll say, I'm from such and such. Mm-hmm. Or somebody's uh, born somewhere, they'll say, I'm from such and such. Or then uh, some people pick out whatever they think the coolest location they lived and uh, try to get status points. But, um, <clears throat> no, I think everybody's from where the, the, where they went to high school. I mean, that's kind of... Uh, probably the biggest shaping period of your life and then if you went to a bunch of high schools I imagine uh, you're confused but you have a lot to draw from to sort it all out but um, uh, Susanville California my dad was a forester and um, and uh, so we worked for the US Forest Service and as a result you get transferred moved around a lot and and he was a, a very sharp guy did well on the government tests and things and so we went from Susanville, California to Fall River Mills, California. Now these are up there just kind of mountain forestry lumber towns and then um, uh, real pretty, you know, just uh, great big pine trees and all that. And then uh, then he went to Alexandria, Virginia. We went to Alexandria, Virginia uh, where um, I guess he was being shaped to be a bureaucrat, which didn't appeal to him at all. Because, you know, you go into forestry because it's about mountains and trees. Mm-hmm. And um, then, this is going to be a long list, and then we went to uh, Saratoga, Wyoming. And then we went to uh, Fort Collins, Colorado. Then Golden, Colorado. 
and then uh, uh, Sheridan, Wyoming, and then Cody, Wyoming, where I eventually graduated from uh, high school. How would you describe Cody, Wyoming, growing up there? What, what was that like for you growing up there? You know, it's, a, it's pretty much what people would envision the Wild West, mm -hmm. and it looks like the Wild really? West, and it is. Uh, <clears throat> the town was uh, founded by Buffalo Bill Cody. Uh, it's one of the most scenic parts of Wyoming. That's one good thing about uh, if your dad's a forester, everywhere you live is a, is a, a, a really pretty place. Mm -hmm. Cold, though. You know, mountains are cold. Mm -hmm. And then... Um, and we were the east entrance of Yellowstone, um, and uh, so a lot of tourists coming through to check out Yellowstone and check out, uh, oh, even now, um, if you watch uh, things on the Old West or documentaries, Discovery Channel, it'll often cite the Buffalo Bill Historical Center in Cody, Wyoming, where a lot of those famous uh, paintings are, you know, uh, uh, all the, you know, the Remingtons and the... Uh, they even have beer stots, uh, uh, Catlins, uh, you know, all famous uh, Western artists from that period, uh, C.M. Russell. And, um, you, know, you know, you go in there and, you know, here's uh, Sitting Bull's Tomahawk, that type of thing. I mean, they, they, it's, and this thing takes you about five hours to go through it. I oh, mean, wow. It's really thorough. And, um, <clears throat> down on the edge of town there's a place this is maybe my favorite it's called trail town and what a guy named bob edgar did um <clears throat> he went uh, around the west and and uh, got these various cabins and you know buildings from the old west and then uh, took them and reassembled them <laughs> and cody made kind of a a street, you know, like a ghost town looking street, and there's a bar that uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid uh, drink at in that, and uh, Jeremiah Johnson's uh, winter cabin, uh, or as uh, the Western guys like to call him, Liver Eating Johnson, <laughs> and uh, I, I mean, it was, it was a great place as far as uh, uh, mountains and rivers and, you know, just... Uh, uh, and the, you know they uh, uh, <clears throat> downtown looks uh, very western downtown Cody and um, uh, and a lot of that celebrated part of it because tourists would come to see it and part of it just because uh, they embraced it in Cody a lot of ranches um, they actually had oil too Husky Oil was based there at one time and then they sold it to Marathon Oil so it was a good play. Now you're the oldest of, of six that's a big family so what was your relationship like <coughs> with your siblings growing up? Well I was the oldest so it was a great relationship Big brother. because I was in charge. <laughs> um, uh, yeah I was the oldest of six uh, um, uh, yeah one brother and four sisters. Wow. Yeah yeah so yeah, and they're scattered all over nowadays. What were your interests as a child when you were growing up? I had a lot of interests. Uh, I always read quite a bit. I had a lot of interests. Uh, uh, well, I read everything I could get my hands on on Geronimo, and so I really enjoyed that, you know. And, uh, you know, uh, uh, I read everything I, I could find on Geronimo, and, um, and eventually uh, had the privilege of writing a book about Geronimo, uh, 
uh, which is still on Amazon, still selling leadership strategies of an American warrior. Um, and uh, uh, it's a lot of history. Uh, <clears throat> you know, when I was a little kid running around the neighborhood, we'd play everything from uh, Batman to cowboys and Indians to, <laughs> you know, cops and robbers to, you know, I mean, it was, you know, because that's back when, uh, you know, kids and dogs ran all, all over the neighborhood. You didn't just have your backyard. You kind of had everybody's unless they kicked you out, you know. <laughs> now, I'm always curious because you've turned into this incredible coach. Was there something that you wanted to be growing up that maybe had nothing to do with sports, nothing to do with coaching? Maybe that was surprises? Uh, no. I mean, as a little kid, um, first grade or so, draw a picture of what you want to be when you grow up. I drew a forester fighting a forest fire because that's what dad was. Um, <clears throat> then I decided I was going to be an NFL quarterback because I was a big fan of uh, Bart Starr um, in the Green Bay Packers. I had his picture above my bed. Um, let's see. Uh, other stuff. I mean, I wanted to be everything. I wanted to be, I wanted to be a cowboy. I wanted to go <clears throat> uh, live in Africa, build a really cool treehouse, and and just drop off the grid. I wanted to, um, you know, I wanted to. Uh, well, then when when I hit 15, um, I started coaching and in coaching uh, in. Uh, <clears throat> See, in, in high school, I was playing football, so I couldn't coach football. But, um, you know, they're, uh, starting 15 through my sophomore year in college, I always had uh, a baseball team. And, uh, and I was the head coach. And it was unusual, but seeing you could drive when you were 15 in Wyoming. And so, um, and so uh, yeah, I always had a team. And I was the, the, kind of the only kid that was doing it, you know. And, but I was just into it. And... Um, and, you know, I'd have a job, and on my job, I'd think about who'd be better to put at first base, and, you know, how do we get this guy to throw strikes, and, you know, just run it all through my mind. And um, <clears throat> it was uh, uh, when I was a freshman in college, I read Coach Polk's book because I had a baseball coaching class in college, and his book was the textbook. And um, so, um, yeah, I'd kind of got the coaching bug there. I was always more of a football guy, and then, um, you know, and thought if I ever had the chance, I'd like to coach football. So, do you still have that original <coughs> copy of the the baseball playbook? Do you still have? Yes, it? I do. It's it's fastened with uh, <laughs> it's fastened with uh, I don't know what you'd call them. They're kind of like uh, brads that go through the paper mm -hmm. and fold this way and the little brass. And there's a thing to hold them down. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But no, it's uh, I do I do still have it. What was Mike Leach like? In high school in Cody, Wyoming, home of the Bronx, right? Was that was that the home of the Bronx in Cody, Wyoming? Back yeah, in, back we were in the, the Cody Bronx. Um, uh, I was like, you know, I guess like everybody back then, you know, you just try to find your niche and just, uh, you know, uh, try to be one of the cool kids and. Um, uh, you know, which of course that's always a battle, and then, um, and then, 
you know, hang out with your friends and do the high school thing. One thing in Cody, since it's isolated, you know, you'd read and you'd hear about other places as much as you could. And so I think your imagination kind of, uh, you know, is a is a pretty good fueling ground for, uh, you know, wanting to see other places and curiosity and things like that. And, and it certainly was for me. And, um, uh, you know, I got good grades. I did always get good grades. Athletically, I worked very hard and was on uh, a lot of teams and uh, worked hard at it. Uh, uh, was, it was never a great athlete. Uh, part of it in, in, in high school, I was small. In high school, I uh, was about 5'10 and 155 pounds when I graduated. And then I grew once I was in college, which all that would have come in very handy in, <laughs> in uh, high school. You know, I left college approximately six feet, probably 185 pounds, which that would have been a lot better, but uh, and faster too. Mm -hmm. So, um, but not, not I always worked hard at it, and I think focusing on things and trying to improve it. I think uh, some of those things, you know, I, you, you use every day in coaching, either consciously or unconsciously. So you attend BYU, it's 1979, Lavelle Edwards is the head coach of BYU, Norm Chow, everyone, if you follow college football, you should know who Norm Chow is. Uh, he's the offensive coordinator. They're running this high-octane, wide-open offensive attack. What was it about that that intrigued you so much, that, that drew you to it? Well, and then Roger French was the, the offensive line coach. He was offensive coordinator as well. They split that up. But, the um, um, you know, it was kind of state-of-the-art football. I mean, they, they were doing things before anybody else was. And um, <clears throat> they kind of fueled, uh, you know, other teams started throwing it more as a result of what BYU was doing. And, uh, and it was a great time to... Uh, be at BYU and witness what they were doing because, um, you know, um, when when I first got there, uh, uh, Gifford Nielsen had just left, and then it was Mark Wilson, and then Jim McMahon for two years, then Steve Young, and then Ty Detmer, uh, or no, it wasn't Ty Detmer, it was um, Robbie Bosco followed. But anyway, so I was there during uh, McMahon's two years and Young's first year and uh, and Wilson's last year. But um, you know they're just doing a lot of things as far as attacking the whole field and getting it in a lot of people's hands and um, um, you know achieving at a really high level. Uh, part of it because they utilize space and personnel well, I thought, and uh, so it was a pretty good place to kind of. Um, think about football and um, you know whether you copy something directly it gets you thinking about something along those lines that maybe you or others think of you know I'm always curious when I go back and I look at some of your, your bio, you get a Juris Doctor from Pepperdine Law School, then you go down to the Sports Academy School in, in Alabama, get a degree there. That, that's a lot of education in a compacted amount of time. What, what was it about trying to get that? Did you foresee a future in coaching, possibly being in the uh, legal profession that you just wanted to, what, knock out two birds with one stone maybe? Well, it was kind of a series of... Uh 
you know, once you get down the, I didn't want to not finish anything, and then you, once you get down that tunnel, you kind of claw your way along. But uh, <laughs> um, no, I always knew I was going to go to college. Even when I was a kid, I planned to go to college. I just thought that was part of the deal. I'm going to college, and. Um, um, and then, you know, I had to pay my own way to college. Um, so, you know, but yeah, in Wyoming over the summer, you could get a job. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't pay the whole thing, but I had a local academic scholarship that helped with some. And then I'd have to uh, work during the year, and not full time or anything, but, you know, to uh, fill in, uh, you know, the, the, the slack there. Mm -hmm. And... Um, and when I got out of BYU, I graduated in eight semesters. And part of it is, is you kind of expedite that if you're paying for it yourself. You know, <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, I'd, I'd make sure I passed a class because I was paying for the class. Mm -hmm. You know, and then, um, you know, when can I get out of here? Because I mean, <laughs> you know, and I'm sitting there with my little checkbook, which didn't have anything in the account, and. You know, add it up, and okay, this is going to cost me this much if I stretch it out another <laughs> semester here. And so um, uh, I got through in eight semesters, which I don't 100% recommend. I mean, if you can, <laughs> if you can go five years, I mean, well, because college is one of the funnest times of your life, mm -hmm. and to spread it out over five years where you're not just. Uh, you know, cranking away. I mean, because, um, you know, obviously I was taking quite a few credit hours in order to do that. And then, um, and so, and, uh, you know, never did get to go to summer school because I had to go home and work, you know. And so then, um, well, then I went to law school. And, um, and I thought that that's just how people did it. You know, I thought, well, you know, you graduate from college, you go straight away to law school. And I, we didn't really have any lawyers in my family. I had a cousin who was older than me. Um, and, um, you know, and she was already a lawyer and everything. But not really anybody to talk to or draw from with regard to a law. My dad hated attorneys. And so, you know, this wasn't a deal where you know, some uncle was an attorney or something, you know. And then, um, so, um, well, and so I, and then somewhere about midway through high school, I just assumed I was going to be an attorney and, uh, you know, wanted to, you know, protect the little guy, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, keep uh, corporations in line for uh, an insurance companies, you know, if they uh, screw somebody that's uh, somewhat defenseless or, you know, that type of thing, you know, kind of have a hand in helping make uh, the world right, so to speak. And so then, um, uh, well, so I went to law school. When I got to law school, uh, I'm 22 years old, and I discovered that everybody's older than 22 <laughs> years old, except me and a guy named Kurt. And, and, and Kurt was the same age as me. And um, and we were the youngest guys in the school. Once in a while, would ask other people how old they were. They were young, looking to jealously guard our position as the youngest, and we were the youngest. And you know, you have all this law stuff, and closest thing we'd ever come to a contract was like our phone, uh, our phone. <laughs> contract or whatever or our, our, our rental agreement for our apartment or something and um, and we both I think actually we both did pretty well but I think part of it had 
to do with the clarity. You know, we didn't have two cluttered up minds. If they said, you know, you know, this tort or this contract or, you know, this uh, property laws like this, you know, we didn't have anything to, uh, you know, that was cluttering it up. Yep, that's what yep, you sure is. It's just <laughs> like that, you know. And then um, we, uh, and then, uh, but I, I, you know, in, in, so this whole education and, and uh, career stuff's, uh, uh, you know, uh, blazing down the rails at a pretty high rate, and uh, and you know, and I was married at that point, married and had uh, my first daughter, and and um, <clears throat> you know, and I, uh, so I didn't have time to, uh, you know, go to Europe and find myself or any of that <laughs> stuff. And to be honest, I had a little bit of trouble reconciling uh, wearing a suit as often as would be required. Really? Yeah, that was troubling to me. I mean, I, I don't know how to really describe it. Um, <clears throat> you know, just do it or just wear it. Everybody else has one. Um, <clears throat> it it uh, Just in the back of my mind, it was a little distasteful. <laughs> and then... Um, um, and then, um, and then, you know, I'm thinking this was probably around second year of law school. I'm thinking, well, do I want to, um, do I want to uh, uh, just, you know, go be a, uh, an attorney? And, and, and I, I read, uh, uh, well, I liked uh, books, uh, uh, Melvin Belli books, and I liked Jerry Spence books, two great trial attorneys. And, of course, Jerry's from Wyoming, and I'd actually lived in some of the towns that he was from, but he's quite a bit older than me. And then... Um, uh, you know, so as he would describe stuff, I'd know the town, like inside and out, and you know, and the, kind of the whole setting, everything. And then, um, um, <clears throat> of course, then he did a lot of national cases, like Silkwood sued uh, Penthouse Magazine, uh, uh, defended Imelda Marcos, stuff like that. Can you imagine being Bob Guccione coming into Laramie, Wyoming? <laughs> Uh, Culture while, shock. While, while you're being sued, and here's pickups with uh, with uh, with deer tied to the front. If it was a big deer, and in comes this guy with a hat and a fringe jacket, and uh, uh, well, anyways, 22 million dollars later, uh, Miss Wyoming was made whole. You know, and then um, so. Um, uh, but the, the uh, I, I was, uh, uh, but I, I didn't want to, um, I thought, well, you know, go be an attorney and then, you know, you can coach in your spare time. And I knew that that wasn't going to quite cut it because, you know, spare time, I knew that there at times there wouldn't be spare time. Mm -hmm. And then, um, or, uh, you know, retire early and then coach then. And I, then I'm thinking, yeah, but what if I coached then and wished I'd coached the whole time, you know? And um, so <clears throat> I'm thinking, you know, this isn't uh, maybe the best approach. So I'm thinking, well, how about if I, um, <clears throat> yeah, how about if I uh, start coaching now, do it for two or three years, get it out of my system, then go practice law? Mm -hmm. And so that was more appealing, except for when I graduated from uh, law school and we informed uh, uh, my parents and um, my wife's parents that uh, um, <coughs> um, 
I was going to go pursue coaching for a while. How'd that go? After over? they decided, realized that was I wasn't joking. <laughs> oh no, they were pissed. <laughs> I mean, I mean, uh, three of them were pissed except my dad. He just walked off laughing, shaking his head. <laughs> <laughs> And he says, he says, well, I hate those guys anyway. <laughs> and, and then, and then, so then, then he, um, um, well, and I owed the federal government, um, tried to figure out a way to finance this, uh, <coughs> this coaching scheme. And, um, cause I was, you know, I was, I owed the federal government $45,000 in student loans. And it may as well have been forty-five million, because they had as good a chance of getting forty-five thousand as they did forty-five million. Because I was broke, I didn't have anything. And and because uh, 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 even though we lived in the barrio there in L.A., it still was more than we had, you know. And then and then my wife worked all the time. I I wouldn't be coaching without my wife, because you know she worked uh, that whole. The time to keep uh, part of this thing afloat, you know, and um, well, so I did the logical thing. Uh, I took out a bunch more student loans and uh, <laughs> got another degree and um, got a master's. And by then, I went to the United States Sports Academy, great place, um, and. Um, well, and at that point, you know, I mean, for a master's, you write a lot of papers, and law school, to some extent, is a degree in paper writing, mm -hmm. and so I was good at writing papers by then, and I mean, um, and, um, you know, I mean, uh, law school was quite a bit tougher than, than it was going to be to get a master's in sports science, and so... Um, the other thing, and part of the reason I selected the U.S. Sports Academy, because uh, this was the very year that you could only have two GAs. Prior to that, you could have as many as you wanted, and all these teams would take free help. But you know, this was the, the exact year went to two, so they're they're firing guys they already had. So everybody's looking for a job, and so then um, I. Uh, um, well, the, the sports academy, though, you could do a deal called a mentorship, which meant you went and worked with somebody and they oversaw you, mm -hmm. and you took a couple correspondence classes, and then, um, uh, and then, but you had to spend a month and a half in Alabama each summer, you know, the summer, the first summer, and the last summer, and which was, I mean, that was a blast anyway. I mean, you know, Florida's right down the road. And then, um, and then, you know, met people from all over the country. So it really was pretty fun. And then, um, uh, the, uh, well, and so, so they, um, uh, and then, you know, the guy, the head coach or whoever you're working for oversees uh, what you're doing. You keep a journal and, uh, and do a bunch of academic stuff in the process. And, but you get hands-on experience, you get work experience, you make a few contacts, and, uh, <clears throat> and it worked out really well. So I, uh, you know, couldn't go to a Division One program very easily. Maybe if I got tremendously lucky, but they're getting rid of their GAs, not hiring mm -hmm. them. And then uh, I. Uh, uh, 
Uh, well, so then I went to Cal Poly San Luis Obispo, called all over the country and checked stuff out. There's a new staff there, and so I was excited about that. And San Luis Obispo is one of the most beautiful places in the country, so that's another bonus. Uh, if you have, if you've never been there, you need to go there. It's okay. really gorgeous. It's you know 200 miles north of L.A., 200 miles south of San Francisco. That sweet spot that's right on the beach is scenic and it's small town, you know. And um, um, but you know the biggest reason was you know obviously go there, learn to coach, earn your stripes, and see if you can move in the profession. And so I was there a year and a half. And I would substitute teach in the off season, and then uh, I went and coached at uh, College of the Desert in Palm Desert, California, a junior college. And then, um, <clears throat> and uh, again, my wife working every step of the way, and me substitute teaching uh, in the off season. And in California, that means now substitute teaching is combat pay uh, in California, but California pays you quite a lot too. I mean, even back then, you know, they pay you a hundred bucks a day or so. Wow. Well, yeah, exactly. And so then, um, and um, <clears throat> I think the lowest was 70. And then if you got on uh, full-time temporary is 120. So, um, but um, uh, anyway, so, uh, and I learned a lot about people there and stuff, and I, I, I didn't dislike substitute teaching, maybe a class here or there, or just uh, a bad group, I mean, I, uh, but, uh, you yeah, know, it wasn't too bad, and then, um, because uh, I did kind of enjoy it along the way, and we were in little apartments and stuff like that. And then, uh, and I'd always wanted to travel, but couldn't afford it. And then in the U, uh, in the NCAA news, um, you know, uh, there's an ad. They're looking for a coach to go to Finland. Well, and, that, and it's, they call it semi-pro football, but it's basically men's league football. And you know, the players pay dues, and the ages are something like 15 to 45. And then, yeah, and you know, they're everything from students to factory workers to uh, you know, kind of wealthy guys. And then, then <clears throat> you go all over the country. And Finland's a bigger country than you'd think. Uh, if you're sitting on a bus driving from one spot to the next, <laughs> uh, which was, and it was awesome. And I got to go to Finland, and then we checked out Italy during the break. And then, uh, you know, I had relatives in Norway, and so we hit Norway and Sweden and, and was already in Finland. I actually had relatives in Finland, but they didn't speak English. And so they sent a letter that... Uh, one of my players read to me that said, uh, and they're further up north, you know, it'd be great to see you. If you get up here, let us know. <laughs> you know, I figured, well, I've traveled the first 7,000 miles or so, so, um, so I didn't see them, but we did see the Norwegians. And then, and then, um, so that was pretty cool. And then in this, this particular year, I coached the entire year. Uh, coached the, the season at uh, College of the Desert, and then um, uh, the, the uh, finish, finish season, you know, was in the spring. And coached there up to uh, August, the first part of August, and then I had a job set up at Iowa Wesleyan College, and then coached at Iowa Wesleyan College 
um, for three years where, you know, and they, they were in NAIA school. Because uh, I'd met uh, uh, Hal Mummy at uh, BYU uh, Spring Football. And so we were both at BYU Spring Football trying to see what we could learn from them. And so then I ended up, uh, oh man, I was, uh, uh, anybody that wants the detailed version of all this can get my book, Swing Your Sword, which is my, uh, basically my path into coaching. And, uh, and that's on Amazon too. Yeah, so hey, I mean, buy both books. Maybe Amazon will give you a deal. I don't know. And, and then, um, <clears throat> Um, so then they, um, uh, well, and, and you know, we wanted to throw the ball, and you know, together we were together for um, uh, for ten years, and um, and you know, and, and together we constantly devise, think about, tinker, copy, uh, go check out other places, see what we could learn uh, football-wise, because this was before everything was on the computer, before it was digital. I mean. You know, because when, when I first got in, it was still projector, 16 millimeter projector, for like uh, about two years, and then it was the, the old overhead projectors. Uh, yeah, yeah, where you'd set it on the floor and <laughs> shine it on anything you know that was white, and <laughs> and um, there's your, and you know if you think about it, um, you know there weren't too many films. I mean, all total, a school would probably only have you know, eight copies of, say, a game, mm -hmm. you know, and that was it, you know, so, um, <clears throat> you know, the public didn't know nearly as much about football then because, well, it just wasn't possible to get the films, mm -hmm. you know. Well, then next came the videos <clears throat> so you could mass produce the films, which that was helpful, but still it was hard to get the video. Now it's on digital, it's on the computer, mm -hmm. and, you know, Heck, you get fourth graders asking you about some play and what's the quarterback's read on something or other, you know? And then, um, so then there's, uh, uh, and so all that uh, kind of progressed as we went. But at Iowa Wesleyan, you know, you go to somebody's place, you check it out, you do the thing, and you, um, <clears throat> you know, you see, uh, what they're up to, and so we we evolved a lot of plays from that, and, and packaged up some good ones. And we were at Iowa Wesleyan for three years, won a bunch of games. Went to Valdosta State for five years, won a bunch of games, and then from there is one of the biggest leaps in the history of college football. Uh, Hal got hired to be the head coach at uh, University of Kentucky. You know, went from uh, went from. Uh, Valdosta State to the University of Kentucky. How about that? It's a big jump. Yeah, Division II to uh, an SEC school. Mm -hmm. And then, and it was funny because uh, C.M. Newton, who's one of the greatest ADs in the history of sports, mm -hmm. um, uh, he had a unique path like that. C.M. played basketball at Kentucky, but uh, when he got out and he started coaching, I think he either went to, it was either Georgetown or Transylvania, but it was a small school. Mm -hmm. it, it was a little school, um, just like Valdosta, mm -hmm. uh, maybe even a little bit uh, smaller. Well, anyway, um, Bear Bryant, when he was AD at uh, uh, Alabama, because he's AD and head football coach, hired CM 
to be basketball coach at Alabama. So CM's own path, and you know, he knew that, you know, if you can coach at one level, you can coach uh, at the next, which I believe that, um, because you know, it all mitigates. You know, I mean, everybody says, well, you can't do that in this league because our corners are all like Deion Sanders. Well, no, they're not. But but let's say they are. Then that means all my receivers are like Jerry Rice, right? Right. You know, and and um, so. Uh, I mean, it, there's a point to where it, where it all becomes kind of relative, and so CM it, 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 it jumped way up and successfully coached basketball. And then, of course, when he became an AD, he could at least you know he could see it, he could see it happening, and then and then he liked uh, you know the ball being thrown all over. So. Oh, Coach Leach, he's entertaining, isn't he? God rest his soul. He is going to be missed in more ways than one. You're listening to Audibles with Jason Scarborough, the podcast. I am Jason Scarborough, your host. Thanks for tuning in. This is a kind of a special episode because now with Coach Leach passing on, of course, we want to remember him really every college football season. But, of course, with this podcast, we're, we're looking back at our sit-down with him for Audible's The TV Show. So uh, it was such a fun day, really fun day, taping at Little Dewey's in Startville, one of my favorite spots in really the entire South. I mean, it, it is just a staple really throughout the Southeast. Bart Wood and crew doing a great job there, and they were so hospitable to us throughout the day. And like I said earlier in the show, we went to tape two episodes with Coach Mike Leach and Ron Polk. I mean, think about that. Both of those guys in the same day. So I decided, who can I take with me? Because I needed somebody to kind of help me keep up with the time and the segments. Somebody to kind of sit over the guest's shoulder that I could see out of the corner of my eye. Somebody kind of help me keep up with, with the time. And I didn't want to put that on anybody else. And I wanted somebody to ride with me. So I was trying to think, who is a diehard Mississippi State fan graduate who is all about the maroon and white and i thought of my buddy stephen bryant i mean he and i go way further back than i probably care to admit i called stephen and i I can't remember if i called you and said hey i'm going to interview mike leach and ron polk do you want to go kind of tongue-in-cheek because i figured what your answer was going to be how did i ask you if you wanted to go i can't even remember yeah i think it was something along those lines Hey, I, I've got this set up, and you know it's going to be a long shot if if I can get them both in the same day. But if I can, would you be interested in going? And I think I responded with a Doc Holliday quote from the movie Tombstone: "Say when." You know, just <laughs> <laughs> you just have to tell me what date and time, and I'll make sure that I'm I'm there. Right. It was such a cool day too because we're um, I don't know just for me I'd known Coach Polk from afar from him being on my radio show in the past, never met Coach Mike Leach. And one of my favorite stories that I like to tell about meeting him, people like, you know, what was it like to meet him? What was he really like? I don't know if you remember, but he comes in, he's got on cargo shorts, a t-shirt, flip-flops. I'm like, that's perfect. You know, the thing I liked about Coach Leach is he would shake your hand and he would look you in the eye when he shook your hand. That's rare. That's extremely rare. I totally agree. But he, he was so sweet so personable, so engaged, I guess is probably the, the best way to put it. And he walks in and I'm like, coach, 
everything's on the house, whatever you want. If, if you want some food, coffee, sweet tea, you, you want you want a glass of sweet tea? Well, I appreciate it, but I've got this. Uh, and he pulls a can out of his cargo short pocket. And, it, and he's like, I got this green tea coffee thing. Uh, it's pretty good. You want to try some? Co- <laughs> Coach, I'm good. I got, got a sweet tea here. But, but, but thanks. And he sipped on that thing. As you know, we were adjusting cameras and Robbie and his crew were running around or what. Do you remember that? That he pulled that can out of his, I think you said you thought it was something else. Yeah. I mean, I didn't know at first cause I couldn't really get a good angle on it, but I was like, this guy shuts up with his own beverage. <laughs> I was thinking, well, you know, he's done with film or whatever he's doing for the day or meeting. So this may be his last thing of the day that he's got to, be on point for it. He brought his own beer. I was like, this is great. <laughs> <laughs> now it's a party. <laughs> I mean, of course, uh, you know, of course it wasn't, you know, it was, I, I had a good, we had a good laugh about it. And just, you know, to echo your thoughts of, of what you were saying about him, I mean, he, he came across as a very genuine person and genuinely cared about what you were saying to him and was is fully engaged. And you know, honestly, it's it's a rare trait to see in a lot of people these days, not just coaches who report in a million different directions, but just humanity in general seems to be disengaged with the person in front of them uh, that they're having a conversation with. And he would certainly was. And I, I appreciate that. I almost didn't even know how to handle it because wow, I was like, wow, this person is actually listening to the things that are coming out of my mouth. Hmm. You know, I, I, I kind of stood back as we were getting ready to leave and, you know, he's signing, whatever the crew, me, you, whatever we wanted him to sign. He didn't complain. Either I said it or you said it. We said, Coach, sorry to, to bug you to autograph all this stuff. And he's like, well, no, the problem is when they stop asking you to autograph stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's exactly it's when they stop asking you to autograph, then you got problems. <laughs> <laughs> but he I was, thought that was great. He was so, so true. He was so patient, and he just – you know, not many people get to, to say that they shared uh, whatever it was we had. I think we had like – we shared a rib with him before he left or something like that. I can't remember what it was. Yeah. Meal, you know, we shared – we broke bread. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's taking, he's taking food home to his, to his precious wife. And, you know, those are some really good moments to remember from that day. You know, I, I enjoyed how I asked him one question and he gave a 30-minute answer. And you're like over my over his shoulder waving like, hey, you you need to break, you know, like you're you're way past the I'm like, what do you do? Because he just he talked for 30 minutes straight. And what do you do? You don't you don't interrupt Mike Leach. I mean, he but he gave a 30 minute answer. Do you remember that? (laughs) 30 minute answer. Like, I think you were you told me to give you a cue at six or seven minutes, something like that. Right. And uh, break. Uh, water, sip of water, you know, bathroom break, whatever. And he, he was just involved, and he just kept rolling. And then I remember giving the cue at like 12 or 14 minutes, whatever it was. And then I just stopped because I was like, well, clearly he's going to keep going until he's finished, and you're not going to stop him. So there's no point in me timing this any further. I just kept sipping on my tea, man. What do you? I mean, I'm I'm looking at the the questions in front of me. It's like, will he answer that one? Will he answer that one? Will he answer yeah. that one? You know, finally, when we broke, he said, uh, he asked us, so how's it going? I said, well, you just, he was kind of looking at the pages I had just turned, and I've gotten smart since then and, and switched to the iPad, but 
He said, everything okay or something like that because he saw all the page. I said, no, this is good. You just answered about four pages worth of questions, so I'm good. Uh, no, we're, we're, we're moving on along, Coach. Um, but that, that, that was Mike Leach. He was, he was so engaged in you. Like you said, he would listen. Like you were the only person in the world. Like he was, he was dialed into whatever it was that you were saying. And genuine is is probably one of the words we attach to him and his memory the most. But I was just curious if there's something outside of what we've kind of the things we've pointed out so far, if there's something from that day with him that, that stood out to you, maybe something I haven't, I haven't asked you about. For me, what resonates in my mind is just being able to, I never thought in a million years I'd be able to do something like that, you know, and be behind the scenes. You basically get to sit through an interview, and the, the off-air comments and the off-air content is gold as well. You know, it's the stuff that people don't really get to hear because it's edited off, and it's, or it's never even probably recorded. And just hearing him tell the stories and have these conversations and then break bread with him. Uh, you know, I'm in my office. I'm looking at the helmet he signed for me, and I was just grateful to be a part of that. That's probably the only thing that really – you know, you've articulated all the rest of it. And that's probably the only thing that sticks out in my mind is, you know, I said how just genuine he was and happy to be there and didn't seem to be uh, aggravated at the fact that he's, after probably a long day, he, he started his days early, is willing to sit there and, and not only do an hour-long interview, but then sit down and have a meal after the fact mm-hmm. and uh, have a conversation and get to know people. It's, that's pretty amazing. And I remember, I remember coming back from Little Dewey's that night. You asked me, you said, look, I know you do this a lot. And at that point, I really, Audible's was still, and it still is, still sort of new. I mean, even at this moment, it's still sort of new. Although in September, we, we would have been on TV for two, two consecutive years. But you asked me, you said, even for you, you're around these people all the time. Mike Leach, Ron Polk in the same day. I mean, even you've got to be thinking, what what in the world? And I think my response to you was like, absolutely. I mean, you're sitting with the most quoted or quotable college football coach in probably the history of, of the sport. And you mentioned getting an hour with him. I mean, he was probably there with us for, for two, two and a half hours total, if you really yeah. calculate it. One of my friends afterwards said, Hey, look, uh, 60 Minutes, you know, yeah, they spent a week with him, but the interview only ended up being 13, 14 minutes of content, maybe. You're going to have an hour worth of content, (laughs) you know. So for him to spend that kind of time with you, it says a lot about him, and he didn't have to, but he, again, like you said, after a long day, he still agreed to do it. So to be able to sit with him and not knowing what was coming – I don't know about you. I know that you and I and our mutual friend Anthony Hall and so many others, we've had conversations about how much that means now that he's passed on. And I know that yeah. we've had conversations about it, but I'm sure you've reflected on being able to sit in there, look eyeball to eyeball with him, shake hands, hang out with him, ask him questions off air. I'm sure you've reflected on what that means now that that, that he's passed on. Whenever things first happen and you're, you're getting – information that um, you don't know if it's accurate or not, but you understand and know that something has happened. And then you get the, the news that, you know, it has happened. And you, you certainly, I went through 
of weeks worth, maybe longer of just, I found myself reflecting on, you know, this, what we're discussing here, but also his, you know, his body of work and just the ability that he had to, to touch people and change people's lives. And we got to taste a little piece of that, which is pretty special. When, when in your lifetime, well, let me, you, let me rephrase. You may have more opportunity in your lifetime to sit in a room, but not me with people that change the face of how modern football is played, right? Mm. I mean, the guy, the guy invented an, a different system that many people have hybridized and made a part of their own system today. I mean, it, you, there's a lot of people, a lot of coaches that owe a certain level of gratitude to the effort and work put in over his body of work. And for me to be able to, you know, be a part of that, I reflected a lot on that and, you know, reflected a lot on an opportunity to have other conversations that never happened. You kind of wonder. You know, it, it was, yeah, reflection was deep for a while. But, you know, as time fades, sort of everything does. So He is going to be missed for sure. And, you know, when he – the reports started coming out that, that he was sick and it wasn't looking good. And I had posted the picture of you and I with him on social media. And I talked about how when the interview was over and he was gathering his food and he had finished shining every – everything we wanted him to sign. He shook my hand and looked me in my eyes and said, thank you for having me on. And I told, I told a lot of people about that and they're like, Oh, well, that's pretty common. Isn't it? No, it's not. Most everyone that's on the show has done that. But then you have others. Of course, people are going to be like, who who was it? They wouldn't, I'm not going to do that. But there are those that just, they're done and they're like, okay, all right, peace out. And that that's it. Or they just, they're not as personable or patient. Patient might be the best word. But he looked me in my eyes, shook my hand, and said, thanks for having me on. And, uh, of course, that was the last time I talked to him. This is the only time I talked to him. And so, yeah, he will be missed. That's something that uh, you being one of my close friends, I, I know that you and I will, will cherish that and value that as, as time marches on and we continue to to celebrate college football and hopefully college football will continue to remember and celebrate him. Uh, cause he is, he's well-deserved of it for sure. So, Hey man, thanks for jumping on. Uh, I know you're going to, you're going to come back down the road, jump on as, uh, we'll, we'll talk about the Ron Polk interview as well. That one, that one was entertaining as well. So, uh, yeah, yeah he, he coached Polk. His only coach Polk could kept us laughing all day. So, and let me say this while I've while I've got Stephen on, if if we both sound not very enthused, I hope that we do. It's because at the time of this recording, we're both fighting really nasty colds and pollen and everything else. So heavily pollinated. Yeah, yeah. So I promise we're excited about the podcast. I mean, I promise you. But we're just we're both just you know trying to. Our noses are like faucets. I know you guys wanted to hear that out there uh, in podcast land. But hey, Stephen, come back down the road and 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 hang out with us for the Ron Polk podcast. I want to hear your thoughts on that one too because. You know, we spent the day with both Mike Leach and Ron Polk. I don't know how many people get to say that, but but you and I did, my friend. And it's good to, to catch up with you, and uh, we'll do it again down the road. Likewise, brother. Look forward to it. All right. We're going to get back to the interview now, folks. Mike Leach, the one and only on Audibles with Jason Scarborough. 
So your star is rising in coaching, and you, you get the call from Bob Stoops to come to Oklahoma yeah. as the offensive coordinator. Well, what was that phone call like? Well, it was, it was pretty exciting. Bob and I had gotten to know each other uh, on the clinic circuit, you know, the, the football clinics and um, where you'd go all over the place every weekend. and. Um, and, you know, we'd see each other uh, mm -hmm. at, at the clinics and got to know each other. And, <coughs> and, uh, and in the SEC uh, those years, um, uh, uh, Kentucky led the SEC in offense. Mm -hmm. And then uh, Florida, Bob Stoops was a D.C. at Florida, um, uh, led the SEC in defense. Now, but Florida was overpowering on offense too. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, Florida was you know top defense, top offense. But well, so then the thought when and our teams gave uh, Bob problems schematically and things, and and so uh, and we'd actually you know we talked a little bit about combining the thing, uh, which we did. Had the chance to do it, Oklahoma. Yeah, and then Oklahoma, if I remember right, they were next to last offensively. And, you know, the Big 12 at the time, they were just a three yards in a cloud of dust kind of kind of offense league. But then you come in your first year as OC, and they go from next to last to first in just about every offensive category. And you're at Oklahoma for one year. Then the call comes from inside the conference for you to go to Texas Tech. So how easy or hard was that decision to go to Texas Tech? Well, it was real hard. Um, because, well, first of all, I always wanted to be a head coach, no question about that, and that was kind of my goal. Uh, when I took the job at Oklahoma, I actually thought I'd be at Oklahoma like, I don't know, maybe as long as 10 years, hmm. you know? I mean, well, because, you know, stuff doesn't just turn over in a year, you know? I mean, and Bob had just got there, and it was a great staff to be a part, because uh, a part of because <clears throat> we're all about the same age and uh, and you know it's kind of a first chance for a lot of us on a lot of things and then uh, you know to uh, have the chance uh, to do it there at Oklahoma was a pretty exciting time and um, so um, well I was there that uh, that first year and uh, and then I got the call, which I didn't think that, you know, I thought, no, you got to, you, you know, stay there and it'd be, be six years and before you get on the radar or whatever, you know. And um, so at any rate, um, Texas Tech calls and, uh, you know, the chance to be a head coach was exciting. It was extremely hard for me uh, to leave uh, Bob Stoops and all the you know, uh, friends there at Oklahoma, and I knew we were going to be good. And uh, then Josh Heupel, who I'd recruited, which uh, not a lot of people recruited Josh, but uh, recruited Josh Heupel, and, and, uh, who was our quarterback. And, uh, you know, and that was exciting, because when we first got there, the two most wanted men in the state of Oklahoma were uh, me and Josh Heupel, me for suggesting that we throw the ball, Josh for throwing it without any ability to run. Josh, you know, Josh can't run as fast as I can. <laughs> and so then, and so then, um, uh, and then of course, uh, as we had success, uh, um, you 
you know, uh, everybody got really excited about it. And, um, and of course, Josh uh, shattered every record in Oklahoma for passing for a season, you know, because they hadn't exactly thrown it a lot. And, um, but he, uh, uh, but yeah, no, to, to leave him there at that time, that was hard because, you know, we'd done quite a lot together in a short period of time. We felt like the future was going to be even better. Well, your Texas Tech career, you had a lot of milestones. First postseason win for Texas Tech at the time since 95. You guys crushed Clemson 55-15. Your first sweep of the in-state rivals, Baylor, Texas A&M, Texas since 1997. <coughs> Texas was ranked number one. Of course, we all remember how exciting that game was. You guys set all sorts of offensive records, Crabtree, all the quarterbacks you had there. I mean, you had such an impact on Texas Tech football. Is there an accomplishment that you're most proud of that maybe the, the public doesn't know about? Yeah, it's always, the, you know, you're always most excited about the next year, you know, because it, it turns over every year. So, um, and it moves along fast enough. You don't have a lot of time to go down uh, memory lane other than when you retire, I suppose. And then, um, but the biggest thing was all the great people I got to, I got to meet, got to know, and uh, uh, you know, and how it unfolds uh, where they end up uh, later on in their life. Because you know, <clears throat> there's a bunch of surprises there. I mean, um, I don't know. The, heck, I had two guys that played for me. They sold their company for nearly a billion dollars. You know. Oh wow. Um, then I had. Uh, uh, another fella, JC, uh, uh, JC player who we played some uh, special teams, but you know, not a great player. Uh, he's just named the head VP for the uh, Seattle Mariners, and um, you know, so where these people end up and what they, uh, how thing of uh, things evolve is always exciting. Uh, really, the people and just. Uh, you know, striving, doing everything together. I think that's the most fulfilling part, you know, because um, there's no, I've never seen it as a, a thing um, where there's any big destinations. I mean, it's always uh, the whole process, and you get to the end of the season, the process continues, and you're constantly trying to improve, upgrade, and adjust, and uh, everybody doing that together, I think, is a pretty thrilling part of it. Which was cooler? <laughs> because while you were at Texas Tech, you got to be in Friday Night Lights, the popular TV show. I love the role, by the way, how IMDb describes you. A random loon is how they described you. It says, find your inner pirate and swing your sword to the destitute coach. But you also were featured on 60 Minutes. So which one was more fun? Which one was the coolest experience? Well, uh, Friday Night Lights was all very quick. Um, we were actually in town to play Texas and should have beat them. And then we, um, uh, so, you know, while the team was at the movie, I quickly went and shot that scene. Oh, cool. Yeah, and at the gas station there in Austin. And then, uh, and then, uh, heck, I ought, to, I ought to call Kyle Chandler sometime. Uh, I don't know him well. So the, the the guy gave me his number, so I ought to check in with him, see how he's doing, see if he's still swinging his sword. You know. uh, but uh, no, I, I I keep up with a number of people 
from there. Got to know Peter Berg uh, and other opportunities to go check out, watch him work uh, as he directs stuff. So that's pretty thrilling. And then, um, uh, and then 60 Minutes. Uh, uh, 60 Minutes is uh, two things. One, it's really thrilling, um, but the other thing, you know, it's kind of like an audit, you know. <laughs> I mean, uh, they come in there and they stay for a week, you know. And a then, week? And then um, they stay for a week and uh, bounce around the country. <clears throat> and then there's a point to where you go have the big interview and... Uh, and I did it with uh, Pelly, and then mm-hmm. um, you have the big interview, and uh, and they'll bring stuff like uh, you know, like to somebody from junior high school or something. Oh wow! Know? And you consider all the times I've moved, you know, somebody from junior high school or some, and uh, not really. I guess they, they well, I think they'd be gotcha questions if the story took them there, because they'll kind of ask wherever the story takes them. And um, they, uh, uh, but no, I, it was enjoyable. And then actually, I kept in touch with uh, the, the producer of that for a while because he has interesting stories because he does these kind of investigative uh, journalism things. And, and uh, I probably ought to call him. And then, um, uh, no, it was, it, was, it was pretty good. And then, of course, you don't know what they're going to say or how it's going to come out. And, and then it uh, comes out, and it was all very positive and good. I had a real positive experience for 60 minutes. Now, when you left Texas Tech, you spent some time away from coaching. You had a serious XM radio show, you and Jack Root. That's when you wrote your book, Swing Your Sword. You had a lot of things going on. Did it ever at any time enter your mind, you know what? I've got some other things that I can do. I'm going to hang this coaching thing up. I'm going to go ahead and, and ride off into the sunset. Was that ever a thought for you? Uh, uh, just a little bit. Um, yeah. Now, and everybody thinks, you know, being out of coaching is like the worst experience in the world. And I think <laughs> it is for some people. For me, it really wasn't. Um, it was very busy. It was incredibly busy. Um, so we bought this uh, little cottage in Key West, so went down there and stayed there with the kids the whole thing. We just enrolled them in school there in Key West and um, never had a car, just bikes, everywhere bikes. Um, and so got in great shape. And during uh, the radio show with Jack Roop, uh, the college football playbook, which we were the first to do that, uh, Jack and I, and um, you know, it's a pretty good contrast, pretty good radio. And then I do, uh, you know, kind of prison exercises during uh, the breaks <laughs> to get in shape, you know, push-ups and sit-ups, and I'd kind of alternate, you know. And they'd get ticked off if you came back out of breath, you know, <laughs> uh, or you know, something like that. And then. Uh, but now nah, it didn't matter. I was going to try to stay in shape. Or if it got too hot, because I do it out there on my deck. Mm-hmm. If it got too hot, I'd because uh, I had this little plunge pool. Basically, it's uh, well, it's it's bigger than a hot tub. I can say that. It's mainly designed to get you wet. It's about uh, I don't know. It's probably 25 feet by 10 feet or something like that. But. Um, 
anyway, so uh, once in a while I'd jump in there and then uh, uh, wrote a book. Uh, Bruce Feldman and I uh, wrote uh, uh, Swing Your Swords. <laughs> So yeah, that was that was a busy time, and then uh, and then I was on CBS uh, t- uh, TV broadcasting games, uh, CBS Sports, and then um, and then by the next year, uh, the book was written, and I, and you know, and so I had to go on the book tour, or uh, I guess I didn't have to, have to, but I wanted to, you know, and then. Um, because uh, we self-published the book, and then, um, and then, uh, well, something I had to give because I couldn't do both the radio and the TV broadcasting and the book signing stuff. And I, I enjoyed, uh, to be honest, I enjoyed the radio the most. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, because you could expand on stuff and uh, you know all that type of thing. And then. Um, and so then, uh, so I was out two years, uh, and Dick Vermeil, who was out ten years, uh, Dick Vermeil comes down there to Key West sometimes, and I've gotten to know him, and he says, he says, you know, I had a great time being out, but I stayed out too long, he says. <laughs> he says, I should have got back sooner, you know. And, um, uh, and anyway, so, so I knew I was in the, uh, the prime of my career, I thought I was, and then um, and so I knew that I, you know, uh, had to get back in pretty quick, you know. We end up at Washington State in 2011, and there was a kid that you eventually recruited there to play quarterback for you, random Mississippi kid, Gardner Minshew. So what was it about Gardner that you knew that you guys were going to be a, a good fit and could really, I mean, you told him, hey, do you want to see the bench? Do you want to lead the nation in passing? Well, eventually, you know how the story goes, but what was it about Gardner that was so attractive to you to bring him to Washington State? We really liked him on film, you know, and at East Carolina, he was playing part-time they had a transfer I believe he was from Duke Um, big tall rangy kid I can't remember his name Um, as a matter of fact I think he got drafted too but um, the uh, kind of a, a rangy kid. Anyway, so there was him and Gardner. I liked Gardner the best. But, you know, the offense moved the best when Gardner was in there. Mm-hmm. And Gardner's shorter than uh, some than some guys would like. And and uh, but you know that's all. That's the ultimate. Uh, uh, measure of a quarterback's job. How well do, do, do you elevate the offense? How well do they move uh, when you're in there? And then you can see on film, he is a really tough kid. He is an accurate kid. And the offense moved behind him, and you can see his energy and stuff like that on film. And so then they came to Pullman, and uh, and well, and uh, you know we wanted and we needed a, uh, a transfer. Um, just for depth, if nothing else. Mm-hmm. And then it was quite a battle. Um, you know, he fought it out with Anthony Gordon, who's with the Chiefs now, actually. <laughs> um, so it was him, Anthony Gordon, and uh, Trey Tinsley. So, mm-hmm. so, so Gardner, of course, was with the Jaguars. Uh, uh, <clears throat> Anthony just got signed by the, um, the Chiefs. Trey's working with us, helping uh, teach quarterbacks. So it was quite a battle, but you know, I f- felt like Gardner's energy and the way he moved the team was really impressive. Um, uh, where G- 
Gordon's got a real quick release and could just whip the ball. As a matter of fact, uh, um, Gordon almost uh, broke the all-time passing record. Mm -hmm. And uh, but no, no, Gordon. We needed a, uh, energy. We needed a guy that could uh, st step up and uh, provide some leadership. And Gardner did an outstanding job. Well, you guys shattered all these different passing records. He was co-Pac-12 Offensive Player of the Year. Yeah, uh, he, got, he should have been the only Pac-12 Offensive Player. Well, I know, I know everybody here agrees with that for sure. But, I mean, you guys are just setting records. I don't records know where right. co that year. I think it was co that year. Maybe, uh, yeah. Yeah, 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 maybe yeah, he won yeah. it outright. There yeah. was a number. Well, there's always a number of lists. Most yeah. of them he was... He, he was the guy, and anybody that has any confusion on, uh, you know, the, the, any of those polls that made him co, they're just out of their mind. <laughs> I mean, that wasn't close, you know. And uh, but, you know, they do funny things. I don't know if you find this interesting or not, but you know, folks, of course, refer to you as as the pirate because of your affinity for 18th century pirates. <coughs> Gardner Minshew played at Brandon. They were the Bulldogs. Their chief rivals in high school were the Pearl Pirates. Did you know that? No, I didn't. Uh, I didn't. And I'm trying to think. Uh, does uh, Keith Braddock doesn't coach down there, does he? Keith Braddock coaches in that. And Keith Braddock played for us at Valdosta State. Okay, okay. Yeah. So you're familiar with the rivalry just, just a well, little bit. We called him Crash. But anyway, <laughs> um, he played safety. Um, uh, just a little about the rivalry, but I, you know, you know it's intense. Mm -hmm. I mean, down there, I'm sure it's intense. So I'm trying to go back. I'm looking through all these videos of your press conferences, and when, do you plan some of these things out? Because it's become must-see TV. Like if Mike Leach is having a press conference, you've got to watch it, and it's must-see television. And you never know which way it's going to go. And you're just very honest and very forward, which I think is why people are drawn to to watch these press conferences. Yeah, try to be honest, so then there's less to keep track of. But uh, <laughs> you know. Nowadays, in this day and age, it's real fashionable to get upset with honest people, mm -hmm. you know, because um, political correct and honesty uh, are not uh, are not compatible, you know. So, yeah, that's where it gets to be a bit of a problem. Uh, generally, no, I don't uh, think it up ahead of time. I kind of respond to the questions. Um, you know, once in a while, I'm you know prepared for some issue that might come up mm. or whatever. So Mississippi State reaches out about bringing you to Starville. I mean, you, you're having a lot of success at Washington State. What was it about Mississippi State? I mean, obviously being in the SEC, being here in the Magnolia State, but what was it that was the tipping point for you to, to come to Starville? Uh, well, um, I'll tell you, and I loved I loved Washington State. Mm -hmm. I loved Washington State. I knew we'd win there. I knew we could win more there. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I really liked it, and I liked that part of the country. The people I worked with were great. You know, I had a president I got along with really well. The AD was outstanding. Mm -hmm. uh, Pat Chun, the, the guy before that that hired me, Bill Moose. Uh, was really outstanding. He's almost like uh, John Wayne of ADs outstanding. <laughs> and then um, uh, I, uh, you know, but then the other thing is, is, uh, you know, 
at some point, uh, I felt like, uh, you know, I just wanted to kind of see another part of the country. I mean, I'd been down here before and always liked it. Like the hardest place for me to move from um, uh, up to that point was to leave uh, Valdosta. Mm -hmm. It was very hard to leave Valdosta because I loved Valdosta uh, in Georgia. And then... um, and then I would, uh, you know, say if uh, you know if a, if there was a Division One uh, Valdosta, uh, if Valdosta was Division One, uh, I'd be the first to apply, you know. And then uh, uh, University of North Florida, I kind of have in that category as well. Uh, and University of South Alabama, okay. or no, not North Florida. It was West. Is, is it, it's West, the one in Pensacola? Mm-hmm. And so that. Um, so, um, well, and then uh, Mississippi State opened up, and so you know, I was just really excited about uh, this part of the country. And believe it or not, it puts me closer to family because my. Uh, my oldest daughter, her and her husband are doctors there in Atlanta, and so they have a few grandchildren. Uh, my second daughter, her and her husband and daughter in uh, Oklahoma City. So, you know, you know I, there's a portion of the family uh, that was closer to Washington State, but also there's a portion that's closer to Mississippi State. And then, uh, you know, and I was excited about the, the chance to, you know, recruit uh, players that were more nearby. Mm -hmm. I was on a plane to Los Angeles all the time there at Washington State, um, you know, or or, uh, the Bay Area, you know, to get players. And then, uh, but the players right here close, I mean, that was exciting to me. And really to see a new place, uh, a new challenge, you Mm -hmm. know, type of thing. uh, But uh, I really did like Washington State. And... uh, um, I, I don't have any regrets about leaving Washington State, but there's an awful lot of things I miss about Washington State, and uh, uh, you know, but you have to give up something, you know. I wonder if you think it's interesting that you were such a fan of the baseball playbook written by, of course, Coach Ron Polk, former Mississippi State baseball <coughs> coach, and Jackie Sherrill meant a lot to you early in your coaching career. It was almost like you were destined to be at Mississippi State because of those ties to Ron Pope indirectly and then directly with Coach Sherrill. Have you ever thought about that, how interesting it is that now you're the head coach at Mississippi State? Well, yeah, it is kind of. Because I, uh, I, hadn't, I hadn't actually met Coach Pope until I got here. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, um, you know, Coach Sherrill, I, I met him when I was at the University of Kentucky. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, so... Yeah, it is kind of full circle, and then you know this is uh, Mississippi State's about as close uh, close to a Division One uh, Valdosta State as there is, you know. So the question that everybody wants to know is, when will the class on insurgent warfare and football strategies be available at Mississippi State? And I have a follow-up to that. Can I come? I'll drive up once a week if you have it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, to be honest with you, we are going to have it uh, this year. We just couldn't yeah. get it put together so fast. And so... Um, uh, 
Yeah, that was a lot of fun to do. Actually, Gardner attended every class. Did he really? Yeah, he attended every class, and I thought, well, what the heck? We're going to go ahead and have him talk. Yeah. I mean, so we because we had some great quarterbacks uh, speak briefly in that class because these classes would be uh, two hours, you know, sometimes over because we'd keep talking if somebody cared to hear. But um, you know, in the midst of that, we had Mark Rippon talked, Jack Thompson talked, you know, the throwing Samoan, and then of course. Uh, uh, um, <clears throat> Uh, Gardner Minshew talked, and so then, um, and so that was, but uh, uh, the insurgent warfare class, we were going to do it kind of right before the spring game. We were going to try to do it Friday before the spring game, um, but uh, couldn't get everything sorted. Um, Part of it, the COVID, uh, how big of an area are they allowed to come, Mm -hmm. you know, because there's a, um, there's a certain amount of, you know, necessary or otherwise, everybody's got their opinion on this, but um, <clears throat> precaution as far as uh, uh, where we'd have it, how we'd do it, and and we weren't exactly as into live streaming it, you know. <laughs> and then Mike, Mike Bumgartner, who was a state senator there in the state of Washington, um, he'd worked for the State Department and traveled all over the world. and. Um, and it has actually taught, uh, uh, you know, the war end of insurgency classes. So uh, we joined forces to do that and did it once a week throughout spring ball. Uh, so uh, I don't, we'd have to figure out exactly how to do it. If Mike, it'd be awesome if Mike could come down here once a week for five weeks or six. Well, I don't know if he can or not. I'm sure you could talk him into it, right? If you told him, hey, we're, we got a second chance to do this. Well, right? he was all fired up to, to come up for uh, one or two classes, yeah. but we are going to have to kind of pack them together a little. But we had some just fascinating guys. We had a guy that, a uh, Homeland Security guy instrumental in busting the shoe bomber. Um, <coughs> we had, uh, you know, guys that had served in Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. Uh, Air Force for survival specialist. Uh, I mean, some guys have really done some uh, fascinating stuff. And to be honest with you, as good as those classes were, I actually thought the best part of those classes, because see, we hosted these guys when they came and <coughs> talked to the class. So afterwards, as you go out after the class and and uh, you know entertain these guys and talk to them, I mean, you know, the stories you'd hear and some of the things they'd see done all that was I mean that was truly fascinating so I'm curious what you do when you when you just want to wind down just chill out when you're not I saw the weather report you did when you were in Lubbock by the way that was hilarious when you did the weather for the oh, TV yeah, station we in had Lubbock. A 10 year later follow-up on that <laughs> sucker too. so when you're not appearing on Friday Night Lights or 60 minutes or doing something like so what do you do to just relax just chill out when you're at home <clears throat> you know, I like to travel um, I need to get moved into my house. I'm not moved in yet. I'm just really? staying in a little guest house, but on a pond. So I'll get the uh, I'll get the, the the paddle board and I'll uh, paddle around that pond. Try to get a little exercise. Um, uh, I've always got an on deck circle of books to read, which uh, <clears throat> it, it gets harder and harder to read them because you know nowadays. Um, there's uh, there's an awful lot of good stuff on TV. I mean, 
you know, I mean, like crazy good stuff. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, well, the Hemingway thing's on right now. Uh, PBS has a three-part deal on Ernest Hemingway, which, uh, you know, that's required viewing. Um, and then... Um, Oh, uh, even the, some of the Ken's burn, uh, which is a Ken Burns documentary. Mm -hmm. uh, anything by him uh, is is pretty interesting, and I haven't made it through all of it. Uh, you know, and there's a lot of good ones. The Civil War is a real good one, and then um, uh, then uh, the um, you know what else? There's. Uh, well, I, uh, the, uh, the Kingdom of Pirates, that's another one that's outstanding. And there's uh, some updated stuff on there, you know, on Henry Avery and um, this massive treasure and that potentially um, that, uh, you know, captured some Arab ships and because they found the money over there, they think he stashed it there. And then, um, you know, but all over, uh, uh, you know, TV, there's some really good documentary stuff and then the, the you know I think the important thing uh, you know you got to be disciplined about not watching the news too much mm. so you leave room for all the good stuff you know and then uh, uh, although uh, um, last night I started watching uh, the 1949 uh, version of all the King's men. You know, which is, a, uh, of course, supposed to be about Huey Long, and it was Best Picture in 1949. <laughs> the one interesting thing is, is uh, of course, it's shot in Hollywood in 1949, and, uh, <clears throat> and there's these mysteriously high mountains in the state of Louisiana. <laughs> They're on film, you know. Yeah. So if we get in your car or truck right now, what, what are we listening to? Uh, are you a podcast guy? Or are you a you a playlist guy? I mean, what are we listening to if we get in your car right now? Uh, if it's a really long trip, um, it may be um, some kind of podcast or something. You know, maybe somebody sent me that's pretty good because people send me stuff, and some of those are pretty good. Um, uh, a lot of people are doing that. The, the the book on video or uh, on audio, mm -hmm. audio books. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> I probably ought to get into that if I was smart. But the truth of the matter is, is uh, uh, <clears throat> in the car I tend to be on the phone or answering texts or on the phone. And uh, if my wife feels like driving, then I sit there <laughs> and do a bunch of phone work, you know? Yeah. Uh, I'm uh, music-wise. Uh, it's either kind of uh, classic rock or, um, or uh, you know, country type of stuff. Not too poppy country, but like uh, the old school stuff. Yeah, Robert Earl King, Willie Nelson type of country. Nice. Alan Jackson type of stuff. Nice. You talked about your wife Sharon and, and your kids. They, they've been so important to you. How important is family to you? I, I, it's really important. I think, in particular, like I say, I wouldn't be here without Sharon, and she's uh, mm -hmm. just amazingly supportive. And I mean, you know, because we were married ten years before uh, she made more money than I did for ten years, mm -hmm. and then, um, um, then 
you know, the, 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 the kids, uh, it's always challenging with coaching. It's always challenging. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> you know, they're thrilled by the adventure of the games and stuff like that. But you don't uh, get to see them as much as you'd like to, you know. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you make it to all the games that you can. But a lot of times it's during spring football. So I could make it to two-thirds uh, of uh, – of uh, my oldest daughter's games, and then my son, depending what he was up to, uh, try to make it to as much as I could, but you, you couldn't make it to all of them. Um, we used to do a deal that was pretty good, and uh, now there's uh, too many kids, and uh, you know they're married and whatnot, so it's a little more challenging. Um, but when they were growing up, um, we used to go uh, to Club Med, which was outstanding, which, first of all, I highly recommend. And I've been to the others, uh, too. Um, and Club Med's a little off, uh, uh, you know, not a lot of uh, Americans uh, think about it as quickly as they might, uh, you know, beaches or something like that, which is, uh, that's no, that's great. That's almost like uh, uh, a little more luxurious, mm-hmm. actually. but. Uh, what was awesome about Club Med, we'd get the, the whole crew and go there where it was something, everybody together type of deal. Uh, Club Med is, uh, if you, the, right, the right one is predominantly foreigners, so I always found that interesting to, you know, to, to talk to the French or the English or, you know, because they come from all over the world. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then... Uh, you know, where you, and it's all inclusive as far as uh, food and alcohol, that type of thing. Um, but you stay in something that's basically a dorm. Uh, and you exchange that with, uh, you have your little apartment, but it's not fancy. Mm-hmm. This is not fancy. And, um, but they, there's a ton of activities. So they'll, you know, they'll keep you... You know, trapeze, uh, archery, uh, water polo, uh, sailing a boat around, uh, like where you're sailing at one of those little ones. Uh, oh, they have everything, skeet shooting, golf. Uh, 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 oh, the, the snorkeling trip. You show up at the dock either uh, in the morning or in the evening. Off you go. They go to two or three different spots. It was just... It was very active. That's one thing I liked. It was very active. And so as a result of it being as active as it was, um, the kids were going to be pretty well occupied and tired when they went to bed and ready to let it rip the next day, you know. The final question. How does Mike Leach want to be remembered years from now? How would you like to be remembered? Uh, That's hard to say. The biggest thing is I I really have a lot of respect for... um, uh, people that give great effort. I'd, I'd like to be uh, remembered as uh, uh, somebody that was honest that gave great effort, you know. Hey, I can't tell you how thankful I am that you could have done a million things with your free time. Thanks for joining us for Audibles. I sure appreciate it. Well, thanks so much for having me on. Oh, how many times did you laugh? How many times did you cry? You know, I mean, that knowing that the world, you know, we lost somebody that means so much to college football, but but really, I mean, you listen to his story and you can't help but laugh so many times because he makes you laugh. And now knowing that he's gone, it 
you know, it does bring a tear to your eye knowing that we're not going to hear any more quotes, uh, at least any, any new quotes from, from Coach Leach. So I appreciate you guys listening. This is a special episode now. Uh, with Coach Leach passing on, and we continue to pray for his family and everyone uh, with Mississippi State and Bulldog Nation that are affected because he, uh, he was one of a kind. There's no doubt about that. So thanks for listening. You can watch full episodes of any of the shows of Audibles with Jason Scarborough at YouTube. Search for Spirit Media Network. That's our YouTube channel. And check out the playlist there on our YouTube channel. You can download our Roku channel for free. Just search for audibles with an s and uh, pulls up our free roku channel and you can watch past episodes there so appreciate you guys listening special thanks to king's daughters medical center in brookhaven mississippi department of transportation and wendy's for advertising and supporting the show and everything that we do really here at the spirit media network so next episode will be will hall southern miss head football coach Man, his story reads like Varsity Blues in so many ways. <laughs> it really does. Uh, it's like a something out of a, I don't know, think of any football movie you can think of. You know, he played football for his dad in high school. You know, so that's just a piece of, of his story. So that'll be the next episode. Join us next time on Audibles with Jason Scarborough, the podcast. You guys be safe. Attend a place of worship of your choice. It'll be good for you. It's good for your soul. It's good for your spirit. It's good for your mind and your body. And uh, we'll see you again next time here on the Spirit Media Network. <laughs>